Hello, welcome to Earth Converse podcast. I'm Penelope Maver, and we explore our relationship and conversations with the earth, all in the hope of inspiring a deeper connection with ourselves, each other, and the earth that is our home. And today I'm delighted to have Thurston Crockett here. I met Thurston back in like I don't know, 20 years ago when I was Common Purpose uh, Program Director, re- uh, running a leadership program there, and uh, Thurston was the Head of Environment and Sustainable Development. Was that it, Thurston? Was that That's close. Close, close. Head of Sustainability and Environmental <laughs> Policy. Oh, what, a, what a job go. title. <laughs> Oh, I loved talking to him then and I'd love talking to him now. We and uh yeah, recently we reconnected and I just love the work he's he's um doing and his work with fathers and sons and band of brothers and his beautiful offerings. He's got a retreat coming up soon. We'll hear about that. And um yeah, we'll just sort of weave and dive in the conversation. So fantastic. Yeah, great. And Thurston, you know, like how would you describe yourself? Yeah. I guess elevate. these days I, I describe myself as a coach, a retreat leader, and a sustainability consultant. Any shaman in there? Yeah, I, I mean, I I I do uh, see myself as a shaman in training, like I'm an elder in training as well. I hit that kind of age where, um, yeah, I think it's time. What is your like earliest memories of? Your connection with nature. Uh, yeah, falling in a, into a pond through <laughs> the ice, age two. It's my first memory in my life. And uh, I wasn't, this weird thing about memory, I wasn't sure I'd remembered it right or even that it happened until I went back aged about 18 and looked at the pond and there it was in wow. North London. And uh, I thought, yeah, that, that happened. And um Wow. Uh, and uh, maybe that shaped my love of water. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, can't, I can't get enough. I live so close to the sea. Uh, it's, around, it's around me. Um, you know, out the front door is, is the outer harbour. Out the back door is the beach. Um, and uh, I, I'm on it, in it, under it. <laughs> as often as possible, you know. Really? Have you followed the Wim Hof? No, I, I've only just. Mm. It's it's uh, it's high summer here in theory. Uh, it's August, and uh, it's only just warm enough for me to take my wetsuit off. Mm, yeah. Uh, you know, actually, uh, but I was in the other night at midnight. Uh, swimming with not a soul oh, around. Oh, Totally naked on the beach, and there are thousands of people during the day. It's funny. Oh, magic. Yeah, skinny dipping. Heard this great Mm. podcast actually about skinny dipping. There's a woman who's promoting it. She's an English woman in New Zealand called Naked Kate, from what I know. I did I did the course, but um, he um, his wife died of suicide, and he was just sort of trying to make sense of that. And he searched around, you know, just following his nose about, you know, through healing. He um, jumped in cold water um, mm. in a pond intuitively, and he just went. That was the sort of the consciousness awakening that he needed, and um, mm. so that sort of followed his his um, sort of ideas through that. Maybe mm. it's sort of helped you, you know. Be, yeah, be the person you are. Yeah, could uh, well, yeah, it could well have. Um, and then I guess after that, uh, we moved to West Yorkshire, 
and I got they, there's different kind of w- water there. It's just raining, snowing, drizzle <laughs> all the time in the Pennines. Uh, but I did I did have a great park and and my own woods. It felt like, and I used to take my dog running in the woods, and uh, I had no idea how special they were, you know. But they were beautiful woods, Eaton Woods, um, on the edge of Bradford, and uh, you know I got. I got to see jays and dippers in the streams and, you know, fantastic wildlife. And I got a lot of that from my dad. You know, he, he, uh, he loved his nature. He grew up in Northamptonshire where John Clare, the nature poet, is from. And uh, he shared a lot of that with me as a kid, you know. And so I got to love my birds and bird watching, and I still do. Um, and, uh, and also a sense of yeah, just spending time in the in the country uh, uh, and in in wild places. Um, yeah, really special. Mm. Was it um, with your dad? Like he wanted sort of just that sort of sense of bonding, or you know, a place where you had. Yeah, I mean, he he was um, he was quite proper and and a bit uptight. A lovely man, beautiful man, um, uh, but the son of Victorians, you know, and so he was quite. Um, quite proper and reserved. Uh, but um, once he was in nature, you know, I saw the, the sense of awe in his face. And he wanted to share that with me because he knew I'd get it. I think, I think um, you know, kids just do. You know, mm-hmm. when we're in innocence as a child, uh, everything is wondrous. And somehow over time we lose that sense of wonder. I mean, many people, some don't. Uh, and uh, I've... I've looked steadily to reconnect it, to refind it. Wonderful. I love the word, you know, awe and wonder and that magic of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so from, and so you, um, you lived in Bradford in the city and then. But yeah, I lived in the, on the edge of the city, that kind of leafy suburb, big garden, uh, very lucky. And my dad bought an extra bit with an old uh, coach house. It had been, uh, probably 18th century and um you know I just had dens and a lot of trees to climb and I spent you know forever in trees and making dens he built me a uh, a tree house oh. uh, out of rough timber you know this thing looks lethal when I see photos <laughs> of it now I think how did he let me up there but it was such an adventure oh. and he did um you know he he uh, allowed me to push. Uh, he wasn't at all cautious. You know, he'd been a, um, a naughty child and he encouraged me to be you know, <laughs> uh, just to spend. And those, uh, they feel like halcyon days when you're young and you're out from, from you know, first, first light until dusk, you know. Uh, it's a fantastic um, time. And uh, I, I and it's the teenage years, you know, the the wild. Yeah, teenage years. I, you know, I fell out. I I went to war with my parents. Yeah, good. So, good rite so of passage. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and and I spent. Um, but I used to go on holiday with them to the west of Ireland, uh, uh, Wales first, then the west of Ireland from about ten onwards. And they, uh, my mum, who also loved the sea, loved the water. Um, she she bought against my dad's advice, and he strongly disapproved. 
So you bought a bungalow for four and a half grand overlooking the whole of Donegal Bay. (laughs) Um, And it was the most amazing place. And that had, uh, you know, the wild West Atlantic uh, coast. And I just completely fell in love with that uh, all over again. And my other place was uh, my uncle Hugh uh, and auntie Jane uh, moved to uh, North Yorkshire to a little place uh, called Snaysham uh, near Hawes, very uh, a thousand feet up, mm. really quite remote for Britain, mm. uh, and you know barren hillside. And he became a forester and made his money from Christmas trees. <laughs> but the the wildlife that moved in was phenomenal. And now red squirrels are there. They moved in from Lancashire into his woodland, yeah. uh, and you know red deer, pine martin, you know. It's an incredible example of um, of how to combine business with with uh, conservation. And I must have planted a thousand trees up there, you know, oh, and spent a lot of time as a teenager uh, just going on doing bird surveys, you know, really? walking the same route day, every day, recording what I saw and and loving being there. Just for your own interest. Well, partly they became. Um, they, 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 it became a nature reserve, mm. uh, and so recording what was there was was part of that as well. And I was like a junior conservationist in my eyes, you know. Um, so he inspired you for the whole conservation my and aunt, sustainability. Well, my auntie inspired him. He'd have really, you know, uh, she had the conservation. My dad's sister, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. uh, and uh, and I did the bird watching. I'd do with her, you know. Uh, he inspired me in many ways. He was really uh, my first mentor, I think, really. Uh, and, and young men, well, young women do, but a young mm. men need a mentor, uh, someone who isn't their dad, uh, who can um, show them how, how the world is, really. Mm. Um, so. And uh, that's what I've found in the work we do with the Band of Brothers. Yeah. Do you want to say something about that now? Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so. So uh, using that kind of model of young men need a mentor, um, and it can be, it can be good, good role models as fathers do, do obviously exist, um, but an awful lot of kids who are struggling or off the rails uh, have had no male role model, um, young men, they, they, so they don't know what it is to be uh, a, a good man. And um, a band of brothers from set up in Brighton and um it really we work with kids who are who have chaotic lives usually they're they're in prison or they're heading there um uh, or they've come out and uh we work with them we do a a rites of passage uh, a kind of modern uh rites of passage weekend and then 12 weeks of mentoring and as a group of men we effectively hold them and show them um, uh, how, how to be good, non-judgmental, vulnerable, mm-hmm. open, uh, honest um, men. And uh, they, they love it. <laughs> they really love it. And, there's a, you know, a lot of it is uh, outdoors-based as well, you know. But this is so important. And I think in terms of the outdoors is the, you know, is the sacred space to hold it, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, we, we create um, 
both both kind of in, indoor space that's that's quite magical uh, and uh, and liminal as well. So they they've no idea what time of day it is, day or night, most of the time. And then uh, we take them out uh, and put them through it a bit uh, out in nature as well. Mm-hmm. And a number of the really profound um, events of the weekend, uh, whether it's you know expression of grief or or of anger. Um, you know, really fully uh, and and felt, they they all take place in in the uh, in the open, uh, often in woodland. You know, I mean, woodland really lends itself to this work as well. Mm. And I mean, um, isn't it amazing? I mean, twelve weeks. You've got twelve weeks, but this intensive weekend. But how kind of little? And I know that you know you're as experienced uh, facilitators, but how little it's is needed, really. To, to mm. sort of to help, to light that fire and to yeah. help. Well, it's um, I mean, and it is. Uh, it's a big intervention, it, and for many of them, it's the first um, really big life changing event they've had for some time, particularly a positive one. Mm. Uh, and so it does have, uh, you know, very often have a really profound influence. And the, you know, the stats back that up. You know, they. Um, uh, their criminality drops, their relationships improve, their sense of purpose, um, and their, their sense of meaning and connection. So, you know, we hear from guys years later, young men ring me up, tell me how they're doing, uh, what they're going, and they might end up with asking a favour. And I either say, yeah, I can do it, or no, sorry. You know, but um, uh, but those bonds are strong, you know. So we give them meat. I think we give them a sense of meaning, of purpose, uh, and connection. Absolutely, absolutely, and so so important. Men generally, or women generally, mm. to go through these rights yeah, of modern um, life. We're we're lacking that's right. that. We've lost it. I mean, what is it for young men? It gen- generally, it's going out, getting drunk, maybe mm. getting a driving license, and yeah. crashing their first car. You know. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 there isn't the, the, they've been lost uh, within uh, Western society mostly, um, and so uh, but they've been going for millennia before that uh, with a purpose, mm. um, uh, and in you know uh, some cultures they they still strongly exist, but uh, but not so much. Mm. Uh, so they're they're profoundly important, mm. and and that also a sense of ritual with things. Yeah, you know, we found rich, it really, yeah, really matters. And yeah. what? Um, yeah, I mean, you're a dad of a teenage boy, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell so, me about so, it. Yeah. <laughs> so how has it been? You know, holding, holding mm. that. You're literally right there, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. You, you <laughs> asked me at a funny time. He's just gone off for a, a, away for a fortnight, and I, I feel kind of liberated. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I. I um I decided a, a while ago. I mean, two things. One is, I wouldn't. I, I really listened to what he wanted in life, uh, uh, and I'd support him to be a creative adventurer. You know, that's my kind of uh, my goal. And and at the moment, with a particular focus on on his freedom, his freedom to mess up, make mistakes yeah. as well. You know, um, and sometimes. Uh, you know, I think of myself as maybe a bit too liberal and easygoing on stuff. Um, uh, but when I really check in with it, 
you know, the balance is about right. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the kind of encouragement that, that, uh, that we've provided and where we are means that, yeah, he gets up to stuff that, mm. that's dodgy and maybe he shouldn't. Mm. But he spends a whole day in a wetsuit and he's <laughs> jump, jumping into the sea and he's messing in the surf with his mates. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I might give him a little bit, watch for the riptide and, mm. you know, don't, don't be jumping off there uh, when, when the, the tide's out and all that stuff, you know. But, um, yeah, he's a great kid and he's really good fun. And he's, he's very musical uh, and he's a great drawer artist as well. So, yeah, he's, he's um, you know, he's a, a classic teenage boy. Tom. Yeah, yeah, uh, I bet, yeah. yeah. Wonderful. I bet you do. So where did you get to? Where, how did you get into sustainability? And Okay, so I, I guess that stuff was very deeply held within me. And then for for a while, I did probably, if I look back on it now, I've always been a wordsmith. I've always loved writing mm. um, uh, and speaking um, but writing particularly, and and I decided I was going to be a journalist, and it was kind of the least worst profession that my dad would accept. Uh, <laughs> when I look upon it now, that's kind of where where it's at, um, and uh, why I needed so much permission, I don't know, but I did, uh, and um, so I set about that as a first career, and and as I as I went through it, I mean, I found that I, I felt intensely political and environmental and I couldn't voice that uh effectively in local and regional journalism you know um and uh the need to be balanced didn't really suit me very well I wanted I wanted more polemic you know as a as a kid well as a as a young man um and then I started to do specifically environmental uh, freelance work mm-hmm. so uh, on drought and water shortages and uh, taking too much water out of rivers and then on acid rain and acid mist um, and uh, and then on anti-nuclear work mm-hmm. so I got really engaged with um, a campaign against uh, nuclear waste disposal uh, in Britain which was you know shallow burial and forget about it yeah. I mean it was so poorly thought through and mm-hmm. I, I became a campaigning journalist, journalist for a while on that. Mm-hmm. And then that was the gateway into Greenpeace and I, I was a regional campaigner. And then finally I went to work for the Wildlife Trusts. Um, there's a network of county, each county in, in England, uh, in Britain, ha- has its own Wildlife Trust, local conservation bodies. And I worked for their, for their national um, organisation and, and I... I, I realised I was reconnecting with what I loved. What do you notice about with the Greenpeace and the Wildlife Trust, about, you know, at a sort of a policy level? And at that time, um, uh, where was your own connection with nature? You know, mm. bo- both, both questions. Yeah, it's a good question. So my, my, my uh, what I noticed about policy was that in conservation, um, there were many experts who, who knew lots of Latin names, but they didn't seem to notice the impact of climate change. We're talking about late 80s, early 90s, uh, which was right on my agenda. And there wasn't a connection between different um, 
different aspects of environmental policy. Um, you know, they, they had their silo. Uh, and, and we do suffer from that with organizations that are very, um, very much in, in their own silo. I think it's, it's improved uh, over time and there's more joint working. But, but there was that sense of, ah, you do that bit uh, and you do it to a very high level. Yes. But what about all of this? Um, and, uh, and then my connection, uh, I suppose I continue to, to make all those trips to Ireland and, to, um, uh, and have my, my favourite places. There's something about that I think is really important about a deep connection with, with specific places and even specific spots to just mm. be, sit and watch uh, and, be, uh, and be open and, and, and notice. And so I, I used to do that a lot and I, I realised it was my restorative time. Mm. It was my, my way of uh, relaxation. Mm. And, I, and I guess at that point I began to notice that things were changing in the environment. And over, you know, 40, 45 years, I'm just staggered with the degree of change and yeah. the speed of it. Um, so, yeah, returning to those places and, and developing mm. that deep relationship, you've got a real – and that sort of very detailed um, observation and noticing you can really see mm. those changes. Well, it's a change, uh, you know, massive changes in what species I see. There. And, and so I particularly notice the bird life because – that's my biggest passion in the yes. natural world. Yeah. But actually, it's it's a kind of whole scale, and across uh, all sorts of all sorts of things. What would be an in example? In some cases, it's improvements. You know, mm. improvement yeah. in in water quality, uh, and particularly um, bathing water and, and inshore waters, uh, thanks to the EU. <laughs> <laughs> but that's another story. Uh, the European Union, you know, we, we had to tidy, clean up our act mm. as the UK. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the, it's not all, all a bad story, but overall it, it's, it, it's seen a, a, a massive decline in species here. And there were some birds that were really common when I was a kid, green finches, um, uh, even red starts, uh, other birds that I used to see all the time. But I nearly never see now. Mm. Uh, and others like red kites mm. and ravens that have done incredibly well, I mean, partly through reintroduction. Uh, and then some changes in things. So um, some birds seem to have uh, just moved in. So, you know, due to climate change. So egrets, which we hardly ever saw, like a white heron. Uh, when I was a kid, barely, uh, very, very rare. Yeah, I'll see them in every estuary around here and and throughout certainly the southern half of Britain, probably further. They they've they've colonised. You know, I remember when I saw a spoonbill in uh, in Pool Harbour in Bra in, in Dorset. I couldn't believe my eyes. It was like I was watching David Attenborough films. <laughs> happening in England, you know, uh, but those, those changes have happened in a relatively short period of time. And of course, some species are driven out the other, mm. the other side. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's the, 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 the speed of it is not something that lots of nature can keep up with. 
Has your auntie and uncle still got the nature reserve? Yeah, uh, he died sadly a few years ago. Um, uh, auntie Jane, she's in her 90s. She still lives there. Um, and she, uh, the, the red squirrels climb up her walking stick. That's how, that's how well they know her. So she's incredible. She's, um, her, her relationship with, with, uh, with animals is amazing. Yeah. Pheasants are the same. They just treat her as, as yeah. another part of nature and come say hello, you know. Yeah. Be interesting to do a little survey now and look back mm. on your notes. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, so Greenpeace and Wildlife Trust and then the economic development and then bringing them all together in terms of, yeah, great offering mm. and perspective and sustainability. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a missing piece in there that I guess yeah. I, I shouldn't yeah. skip which is I went to work for Shell. Uh, this I, is confession I, I, time. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, I, uh, I went to work for, uh, for Shell for a short time on their kind of, uh, their community-based sustainability, mm. it was part of their community affairs stuff. Mm. And I was both incredibly naive and also a ridiculous optimist. I thought that somehow I might be able to influence mm a major oil company to change. And they did have a crisis, two crises in the year I, w- I was there. One was over um, a, a, a platform called the Brent's Bar, which was occupied, yes. and they were going to sink it. Uh, um, and, you know, actually it, it looked like Greenpeace got the figures wrong, but the principle of just sinking this thing mm. with oil in it was wrong. The second thing was much, much more serious, and it was only just on the radar when I went to work for them. But I remember asking a question about it, which was, so what is Shell doing in Nigeria? And uh, that ended up as, you know, uh, being exposed in the end as the scandal it was. Uh, And the death of Ken Sarawiwa, which, you know, really upset me so profoundly. I I thought, I can't work for these. I've got to leave. and for a short while, there was an opportunity to try, because Shell was reeling, yes. to try and influence change. And I naively wrote a paper about how they could stop being an oil company and become an energy company. And, you know, well, sure enough, kind of 25 years later, uh, they're all trying to do that mm-hmm. in order to maybe greenwash themselves, but also uh, some writing on the wall about um about carbon emissions, but I can't see shell changing very rapidly. Um, well, there's sort of a, yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? Sort of that um, to be to be in the change, you know, do you get change from outside or in it or to understand part of common purpose is that everyone has a place at the table? Totally. Mm. I absolutely mm. solidly believe that. Yeah. Um, and uh, Mac McCartney, who, who yes. I, f- I find really inspirational, mm, yes. that's Mac's position, mm. that you don't create enemies and opposition out of people that you want to influence and bring around the table. You know, most of the guys working in those companies and women, their parents, their grandparents, they've got, they've got a sense of responsibility and future and values, and they have their own perspective, and not to hear them is not to live in the real world. It isn't. And benefit, you know, I, I drive my car. Oh, yeah. you know, but it is interesting to see the energy companies now and from that uh, greenwashing, how can you systemically change the culture 
or what is it? It's not just um, just a different label on a um, on the same thing. And yeah. uh, but how do you how do you really uh, create a different heart set and mindset in mm. the, in big corporations in that way? Mm. Yeah, through lots of engagement, through um, through being open for com- conversations, and and I think you know the key to it is is not having them and, and then uh, kind of rushing out press releases saying how, how crap they are, you know. There, there, is, a, um, there is a need for a, for a relationship building and uh, more honesty in the dialogue uh, rather than in the, in the media. I guess how did it help you, you know, like having that profound experience and particularly at that time with Shell? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. I, I think it, I, I, um, I, I licked my wounds for a while and I felt a sense of shame for, for, for the attachment to them. Uh, over time, I, I, I just, um, you know, I understood that my motivations were good, even if there was naivety there. So uh, I think the, the, the biggest part for me was you know, accepting that I, I could make mistakes uh, with honourable intentions and, um, uh, and yeah, and, and learn and follow my heart a little bit more in terms of uh, where I worked and who I worked for. I'd followed my head with Shah. I thought, ah, here's a sensible, smart career move that could have some influence and, you know, it was, it was a, a wrong direction. Hmm. Not a wrong I guess, you know, in the end, mm. yeah, it's all part of it, isn't it? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Part of the learning, yeah, for sure. Mm. Um, and so from there? Yeah, from there um, I, I got into, I had the best job ever. <laughs> uh, I, 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 uh, I went back to Lincolnshire where I was for a while and uh, it was like being given a suitcase of cash and told, yeah, I just, try and spend this somehow with a load of VU rules attached. Um, and so I, I spent a couple of years uh, um, working on a, on a program called Leader across Lincolnshire, 2.7 million quid. They said, here, here you go, do what you can. Mm. Um, and it was fantastic fun, you know, working with a lot of uh, creative and inspired people in local communities doing great projects, some of them wow. environmental some of them artistic, some of them uh, economic. It was brilliant. Wonderful. Um, yeah, and, uh, and then I went on into tourism and tourism development, quite a lot of green tourism within it. I really enjoyed that side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then economic development where, where I was involved in regeneration programs. And that's what, in the end, through, through a, a change in life, uh, had me move to Brighton where you, mm. you met me. And yeah. actually I was working in, in the economic development team at that time. Oh, yes, you um, were, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, that, uh, what I noticed there was we were the first among equals. <laughs> you know, anybody working on the, on the economy, yeah, they, we could have what we wanted kind of thing. You know? mm. A massive budget and uh, lots of staff, mm. you know. Um, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. Mm. Uh, and 
Uh, and I suppose then my ideal job came up, which was the sustainability brief. And what yeah. does that mean to you? Like, because intersectionalist environmentalism, you know, mm. where actually because because sustainability has taken off in terms of such an environment focus or an economic focus, but hasn't got mm. in terms of the social justice. But for me, sustainability mm. is all, you know, all three. But yeah. I think sometimes to get to the whole, you have to then focus in on the part. So, you know, racial inequality and social justice is really important to then level the playing field. Where are you at yeah. with sustainability? I guess um, uh, for me, there is an absolutely uh, critical um, kind of environmental underpinning. Mm. You know, we can't, things have got so bad in some areas, we can't make them worse. Things have to be turned around. So we don't do stuff that makes things worse. Uh, and we have an idea of where we are with that um, as, as individuals, as organizations, as nations. Um, uh, um, and then, yeah, there's a massive economic and social justice agenda that we do within environmental constraints. That's kind of what, how I see it. Mm. Uh, I, I work with a model um, uh, through a long-term relationship, ah, which I started when I was at mm. Shell, with mm. uh, an outfit called Bioregional. Okay, and they've got yes. a model called One Planet Living. Mm. Um, I introduced that uh, uh, to Brighton. Mm-hmm. We became a One Planet City. Mm. It was a yeah. kind of a, a badge, but it was a, more like a really detailed commitment uh, to a different way of, mm. of, uh, of working. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, it's what I work with still. I think it's a great model. Mm. Um, uh, and, it, and, you know, all the key components are in there. Mm. And it has a very simple principle that we don't carry on working as if there are, and living as if there are three and a half planets Mm. In, in Britain, where mm. the, when there's one, you know, mm. you look to reduce that impact and address the, the other stuff mm. that really matters too. Mm. And where do you think in terms of like the SDGs and where we are at and, mm. you know, at this particular time, I think actually um, there's so much work being done in uh, sustainability over the years, but we've had, you know, I think actually Greta Thunberg has, you know, elevated mm. um, the debate and um, she absolutely has but i mm. but and also i have a sense that uh um the sdgs don't don't have the same uh level of anything like of public awareness uh as a whole as a as a as a group no. uh, that the millennium goals did um you know around poverty mm. in particular and uh the that I mean, rightly, in some ways, the fixation is about climate change. Mm. Um, but, you know, the, there is a, um, you know, a, a global uh, catastrophe uh, happening around us in relation to the natural environment as well. Mm. Um, uh, and, you know, they, they have to be seen together. Mm. Uh, yeah, my, my sense is that the SDGs are, are quite low profile. They're a great tool. They're what we've got. We need to work with them. And I spent some time actually with Bioregional in New York, um, working with the voluntary organisations at their inception, trying to influence um, how things were set up. Um, met with a British delegation who at that time seemed really uh, very positive. Um, now, I, well, it's gone a bit quiet. Mm. 
Because they are, I see them as the sort of like tools. I would probably don't need to go down this road so much, but both tools, but ask actually wonderful goals that we can oh. galvanize and integrate around them, you know? So yeah. it's oh, a, it's yeah. Completely. So what happened between this is sort of, you had the wildness of Brighton seeking it. I did, yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, it was, a, it was wild, else. you know, yeah. and I had, yeah, some quite hedonistic years in Brighton. It was that kind of time. <laughs> and then became a father and, you know, things, things changed. Um, and, uh, uh, and over time, I realized that, you know, my, I was in, in an intensely political environment um, with, uh, 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 with a lot of pressure. Uh, I wasn't particularly handling it well. Um, and, you know, I didn't have uh, the kind of wonderful natural environment mm. around me so readily. You know, I lived in a, in a, treeless urban street um with a with with two smaller gardens yeah the sea was there but it, it you know it didn't have a lot of features to to it either there wasn't much relationship between brighton and the sea it's like a backdrop to a, a cultural city mm. fantastic cultural offer mm. i tend to call it a box of sweets brighton you know is. there is so much uh but you can quickly get sick um, <laughs> uh, and you know, uh, uh, 10 years in the job mm. was probably five years too long. Mm. Uh, and um, once, you know, it was the first green administration, first green-led council anywhere in Britain. Mm. Uh, and being a part of that really was super, yeah. super pressure and focus. Yeah. And, and in the end, you know, I grew sick of the politics. I grew a bit sick of the place. And much as I love my friends uh, and lots about uh, Brighton, I needed to leave and go for a different kind of wild. Mm. And um, I just felt the real calling from uh, West Cornwall. That sounds like a, not a midlife crisis, but sort of, you know, where those, those points where they just, mm. y yeah, you have to, it, that's a real turning point. And it sounds like, I mean, the you know, it actually, to me, yeah, Brighton is a beautiful, you know, physically beautiful, and you've got the oh. sea. But is it that you, that you didn't have the, you didn't feel the connection with that, or you felt disconnected from yourself, or was it uh, a was it yeah, a crisis, all of those in, a, all of those yeah. at once really? Yeah. And there I was in one of the top environmental jobs, if you like, yeah. but barely stepping outside of an office, you know, constantly in meetings, yeah. constantly uh, uh, in front of the computer, and. Um, you know, I just, I, I lost a part of me with it. Um, yeah. uh, and uh, I, I definitely needed more, more deep nature connection for me. Um, uh, and, yeah, I mean, and, the, and yeah, there was definitely a, a form of crisis in it. I was, I was burnt out uh, and I needed, uh, I needed a change. And it was great when it came, you mm. know. And I spent a couple of years when I was down here not, uh, you know, just recovering really, and volunteering every week out, out, um, yeah, doing doing conservation work. Uh, just just another volunteer, and I loved it. It was yeah, fantastic. Yeah, just getting your hands in the yeah. soil, or just yeah, just really yeah. connecting. Mm. That and it's interesting that you went intuitive, yeah, intuitively to the land. 
to heal or to rest mm. or that, mm. yeah, all this wildness that you wanted in Cornwall. And Yeah. Well, mm. it, it is wilder here. I mean, we get, um, where I live, we get storms that are huge. Mm. Uh, my road is closed, you know, that the, the waves are thundering in. Uh, there's water coming over the top of the great big church-like building next to us. It, uh, yeah. My son and I, at, at a height of Storm Brian, it was called, uh, <laughs> at high tide, it said, hey, we've got to go out and see this. And yeah. we ran outside. We were next to the Coast Guard who, who marked off the, the road. And we stood there and a wave hit the cliff, went up over and just soaked us <laughs> to the skin. And we screamed laughing and ran back in the house. And uh, my partner's looking at us in disbelief because we'd only just stepped out, just you know, moment. and we were wet to the skin. And, but feeling uh, alive. Yeah, feeling alive. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I, I, I needed it. some wild. Yeah. And I, but I think how many people, in, particularly in sustainability or in, you know, just generally big jobs, really serious jobs, but are so disconnected from the essence mm. of where, what they want um, to save or to protect, yeah. that we get, it becomes a, like, I think for so much, so many of us, you know, sustainability or climate change or is an intellectual exercise as opposed to the yeah. embodiment and really, you know, Absolutely. really living it. And, yeah. and um, you know, there's a fantastic uh, philosopher, teacher, Satish Kumar, mm. um, based in, he's based in Devon. Um, yes. and, he, and he, I really remember vividly uh, him saying something like, uh, all you environmentalists, you need to just stop for a moment and go and spend some time out in the environment <laughs> and stop <laughs> worrying about it. And, um, you know, I really heard that. I really heard it. Uh, I'm disconnected. I don't know, you know, I, I'm, I'm not embodying it. Um, and which is, uh, and, you know, having learned from that is one of the reasons uh, that, that Damien Toe, um, a great guy in Brighton, and I set up In Through the Outdoors mm. um, uh, with this idea based on, on uh, the great environmentalist John Muir mm. uh, that, that uh, going out, out is really what allows you to go in. And, and so specifically for sustainability professionals and our run retreats, often with Damien, um, aimed at really reconnecting uh, sustainability professionals, if you like, with um, with time out, with nature in a deep way um, right. and, uh, and allow them to uh, really express where they are, what's going on, have a look inside while taking them to the wilds of Snowdonia or next month to the wilds of West Penwith, which is our own Celtic wildland down here. Um, Beautiful. It's very, a very magical place, you know. Uh, so um, I, I, I see it having, having learned the lesson of burnout, disconnection, uh, I now seek to support those who are doing incredibly mm. important and stressful work uh, by giving them an opportunity to stop, reflect, retreat, Mm. and reconnect mm. and what have you seen in terms of the result of that of people either mm. um, well I, I, uh, the feedback I've had has been fantastic um, but I say that not not to 
blow my own trumpet you on can it. But just, blow your own trumpet. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, I, th- I think um, now what I hear from them is that it, it, it uh, they went a lot deeper than they expected. Mm-hmm. That the experiences in nature and some of the nature-based processes that I introduced gave them a profound sense of both the powerful symbolism of nature and the and that experience. Um, and and that um, they really needed that time to um, that restorative time out mm. to reflect. And very often, you know, in terms of you know, because classically, I'll say, "Oh, what are you committing to?" Mm. You know, in the in the time ahead, nearly all of them will say, "More time in nature, yeah. more time." Mm. Um, and and I talk about a couple of themes in particular. One is uh, that nature's our greatest ally, and and as a as a really simple um, premise, it it just it works for clearing head, decision making. You know, any a, a walk uh, is is a huge thing um, in the right environment, and mm. uh, certainly I spent most of our lockdown tramping up and down the, the coastal paths here, yeah. just watching spring unfurling beautifully. Yeah, and I loved your post so on that, good. actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lovely, yeah, lovely observation and noticing of the unfolding mm. spring. I was just yeah. put a link in there. In oh, nice, thank yeah. you. Mm. Uh, and the other premise it really is that um, uh, our first nature is uh, our intuition that our second nature is our default. It's what we always do based on all our experiences and concepts and thoughts and feelings. And so we do the same old stuff. That's our second. But our first nature is our, is our, our real gateway. Our, when we're in innocence, uh, like the child I was talking about, uh, like me as a child or you as a child, when we see things really fresh, uh, we'll, we'll have the the awe and amazement and and we can tap into you know what's really true um what's really true for us what's really in our heart mm-hmm. and how do you do that and you talk about the nature-based processes what are the some of the things that you've you've learned or experienced to access mm. that yeah so uh, i've done a lot of work uh with uh teacher mentor william white cloud I love uh, the book that you... Yeah, yeah. Not, A Magician's yeah. Way. And there's a, The Last Shaman, yeah. uh, which is really, really super. is magical. It is and super. I spent some good time with William, really good time, learning uh, um, uh, about, uh, about intuition, about innocence, about super conscious, um, and about really high-level creative living. Uh, mm. And... You know, and he based quite a lot of it in in Africa. So I found myself going out there and uh, and having the most incredible experiences. Wow. Um, Whereabouts and, in and, and that allowed me to uh, to learn and adapt some of some of those processes, some of those ways to to um, my own programs. Wonderful! Can you give us an example? Or just yeah, those, yeah. Those I mean, I'll give you the one that the one that's coming to mind is is an incredibly simple idea, uh, which is uh, to pick three points on in the landscape, three defined 
kind of point. It might be, you know, an angular tree and then a cliff and then, you know, a hedge or something. Um, and um, from a place of innocence, not needing to work it out, not needing to know, um, doing what they call a land reading, which is uh, uh, trying to hold those three spots, which the brain almost can't do, holding three points at once, and then asking uh, a question um, uh, and seeing what comes. Uh, and, you know, often I'll introduce this after being, we've been walking for half a day or for two days or whatever, um, and um, people will go off, find their own spot. And the question might be, um, what do I need to know right now? Or how do I need to, uh, how do I need to be in this next phase of my life? Mm-hmm. Um, what will it serve me to, um, to see about myself? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's usually quite a profound question. And um, by, by being in a, a, you know, in a very open way and, and trying to hold these three, three points, um, they kind of scramble the brain in a way <laughs> uh, and, uh, and allow, it's as if they allow a gateway into something deeper. And uh, the answer will come. Mm. And is the earth and nature providing the question? Uh, or the answer well it, it, it's now all of that's going going on up here but that's providing the the kind of gateway do you feel like you're conversing with the earth yeah um, um I, I, I think um for me i find one of my rituals that i love doing is to go and converse with the sea uh a uh, every day or um, every other day and just go. And I, I never know what I'm going to say before I'm there. And it's usually something of gratitude. Um, uh, and it, it always comes. So I find myself conversing with that. I'm feeling so grateful to be here and to have uh, the ocean right there. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I previously I had a choice about, um, immersing myself in the rhythms and gifts of the sea uh, and the ocean. And uh, there was, um, yeah, a very profound feeling that that's what I was doing uh, in those moments. And in the programs that I run, yeah, so we'll, I'll, we'll look at conflicts through, uh, through buzzard or raven perspective. Um, we'll, we'll do uh, a medicine walk. Um, that that has prompts from uh, things in the, in nature through yeah uh, the prompts of those momentous uh, or landmark events in in life um, uh, and by being by by taking people to a place where they're really open to receiving they'll see their life story unfolding prompted by things in nature um, uh, and so they're being spoken to if you like mm. um and then very often i'll take them you know uh into uh, in, it, into a, a future 
medicine walk as well, where they're, uh, the things that they they they're going to love creating are presented to them as well. And do you feel you know people are people? Do you, they come because they in, intuitively know that they're open to that, or do you feel that people mm. there's a actually through your inspiration and encouragement to to engage with nature in that way that they open up in the moment or they feel uncomfortable uh so yeah almost as many uh, different variations as as there are in that question so uh, by and large um i don't give too much away about what people are going to experience yes um because i think there's a, a magic in the not knowing uh, so very often it, the, some of this stuff takes them by surprise. And, you know, some things will really work profoundly for one person, like that land reading I talked about. Mm-hmm. Right, a client of mine, she, she, it blew her mind. Uh, someone else just didn't get it at all. How does that work? Mm-hmm. No, I can't do that. No, I'm not getting anything. Um, but something will work or some things will work for everyone. Exactly. And as a whole, they always work. And, and I'll use um, a lot of poetry uh, within the program as well. Um, and next month, I'm uh, employing the services of an astro archaeologist. Oh, that's super! <laughs> I can't quite believe I found I, I found her, <laughs> uh, but there, there she was uh, on the on our website. She's called Carolyn Kennett. Mm-hmm. She's standing in the stone circle where I had the idea for the program oh really it's a sign it's a sign yeah it it was of course a sign and so uh it's very rich very very rich in uh west penwith in you know very um in in fantastic megalithic uh monument structures stone circles um standing stones and she she's made it her her job to really know them and how they line up at different times of the year and different um, key events. I love that. And I love even the sort of the ancestral, the part of the connection and, yeah, Mm. and what it it means um, to the individual being right there. Um, Tell us more about the retreat. So the retreat's in Through the Outdoors, Mm -hmm. uh, September the 24th to the 27th. Cool. Uh, It's um, it's a, under the events section on my website, firstandcrockett.com. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we've got the still COVID rules, which means that it's really intimate. There are six of us. Mm, perfect. Six of us. Uh, and um, so it's largely outdoors. It'll be fires. Uh, it'll be um, some fantastic walks. Mm. So there's, um, there's a day, half a day with Carolyn uh, exploring some of those monuments and the, and the far western part, so uh, near Land's End, Cape Cornwall, mm. um, uh, and some really amazing landscapes. Um, and then there's some some beautifully, uh, um, yeah, some beautiful beaches and coves, uh, uh, and they're very close to to the hills as well there. Mm. Um, and then uh, there's a half a day which will be exploring. Um, holy wells and um uh, and a kind of more yeah more um magic landscape uh 
a bit inland as well. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I'm thinking of the poet, and I'm thinking of uh, David White's, you know, Well of Grief. Mm. Uh, and but I but how beautiful all those different environments will evoke different things in people. Yeah, that's a lovely offer. I think that's one of the things that Damien and I have discovered over time that there is a real magic in going to. Uh, really different landscape yes. types and nice. so we'll have we, we tend, tend to have a day and a half a day on the beach a day in the forest mm. a day in the mountains and juggle those around depending on the weather yeah. And, yeah. And, and and make them work so i've followed i've followed that this time around so it we're not it's not it's not one-dimensional it's um it's really oh, it's it's super. Four parts of that landscape and you're in the perfect, yeah, you, you've chosen literally the perfect place, uh, yeah. one of you, yeah, to this um, book, your beautiful writing. So um, mm. when, it, when is it coming out? Incredible Encounters with Nature, Revealing a True Myth. <gasps> so, um, yeah, th- this came again from, uh, from a, a, a course with William, uh, uh, Create Your Writer's Genius. And, and you know, I discovered that the book that I'd always thought I wanted to write wasn't the book that was true for me to write, um, uh, but that uh, actually something really profoundly about um, our um, our connection to uh, uh, our disconnection from nature, and then about how life story uh, uh, can be really connected through extraordinary uh, events. Mm-hmm. And particularly extraordinary encounters, um, and so I've had a, a series of these through my life, incredible encounters with with wildlife, uh, and uh, it's easy. It can be easy not to notice them or for them to go on and just not not be aware. Um, and uh, you know, I had one last month, um, which was uh, just fantastic, and. They can they can just seem like great things, or they can take on a a, a, a meaning. Um, and what my argument is that that um, depending on where we are in life, they can have profound meaning for us. Absolutely. Uh, and and so that's the central premise uh, of the book, really. That that as a collection, these the, these mean a lot about the human condition and experience. Um, yeah. I'd love um, you to share with your, yeah, can you share one or two with your account? One of the ones that, that came to mind, um, which was when I was a kid, uh, we had swifts. Do you know swifts? They're mm-hmm. the fastest yep, bird. Yep. They're, they're sort of boomerang shape. <laughs> yeah. They scream over cities. <laughs> they migrate over here. They're almost leaving now, uh, Britain, back to Africa. Incredible. They're never off the wing. They even sleep on the wing. Mm. Um, and they're extraordinary birds. And when I was a kid, I um, uh, I found one on the ground, uh, and you know I knew immediately it shouldn't be on the ground. So I picked this bird up, and I and I could see, or I imagined I could see, kind of terror in its eye. But actually, you know, it was it was just there, helpless. And then from under its wings. These, uh, I thought they were spiders, came running out, big spiders, and my hand was covered in them. And uh, there was a kind of horror about it, so yes. I kind of flung them off. And then, you know, I got, I got to look after this bird. 
And uh, of course, then I wanted to explore what what were they and how come they were so big and what's the relationship between awe and revulsion that, mm. that we inherit from mm. different sources uh, and Great why why uh, why is why do we judge some things re- revolting and others not? Anyway, I discovered these. Um, they're, they're uh, a kind of louse, mm. and they've evolved with the swift over millions of years, and and they're so big that if if I had I had them on me, would be lobsters on me. They're, 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 they're big, wow. and uh, and somehow they've they've evolved together, and so it's completely normal for swifts to have these huge things, um, and the majesty of uh, of those swifts it means that you know they just don't take a blind bit of note they don't even seem to do them any particular yeah. harm uh so it was a way of exploring my relationship with revulsion and ha- uh, my sister's loathing of of spiders and terror mm-hmm. how her daughters inherited that and yeah. her daughters inherited mm-hmm. that uh, <laughs> and um uh, and also, you know, the incredible story of the swift and the majesty of them. Mm. Uh, and, 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 you know, as a child, how I saw all of those those things together. Mm, what a wonderful discovery, inquiry and honouring of that. Mm. Really. Actually, I was just talking to one of our last podcasts, Ray, and he talks about quite often we go out to nature for the, um, for the beauty Mm. But if we sit long enough or observe it long enough, there is this, the, the shadow side of that. Oh, and, yeah. and, he, and he actually even says that really how we, that's really the fundamental reason why we go out to nature, to connect in that way. Yes. And, uh, but this revulsion and awe is a, is a spectrum mm. of that. Any others you want to share? Yeah, I mean, one of the most amazing ones for me was um, – being driven off a hillside by a pair of ravens. <laughs> uh, and, and the, you know, the raven is deep in, yes. in kind of mythology in our culture as a kind of evil bird or, you know, uh, um, which it's not, is it? I mean, no. you know. Um, but, an incre- but a big, incredibly intelligent. Cor- Corvids are, uh, are intelligent anyway, but ravens are said to be the most, you know, um, and uh, uh, it was uh, in, in Greece, um, uh, well, it must be 20 years ago, and I, I got up really early because it was hot to, to walk later, and I walked up to the very top of, of a hill, and, and, and it was an amazing climb. And when I got on right onto the top of the hill, and I could see panoramic view of, of the ocean. There's an island called Skyros, a beautiful mm. island. Um, and... Um, and then I heard this sound, and I'd never heard a sound like it. It was like um, it was like a, a kind of tuning fork, uh, and and it sounded metallic. And then I realised it was coming from a raven. Uh, and uh, uh, but I, I've never heard anything like it before or since. Ravens make lots mm. of weird noises. Mm. Sometimes they mm. even sound bit like ducks <laughs> and, they, and they, they honk and they but th- this was this was something else again and essentially what happened was uh the raven started coming towards me walking and another one came as well and then they both started to clung and um 
and they put the fear of God in me. You know, they, I, they, I wasn't welcome on their hillside, mm-hmm. and uh, and they drove me off it. Yeah. And it, you know, and I kind of turned and ran. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And it sort of sounds absurd. You know, why wouldn't I have picked up some rocks and thrown them, or made a big noise, or made myself mm. big? Well, partly I wasn't in that frame of mind. Mm. I, uh, so there's something about my vulnerability that that they may have sensed. But actually, the more profound message for me was just this: that if 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 not just birds, but if animals could communicate to us about where we're we're not welcome, where else would we not go? Yes. Yeah. Well, how yeah. how much more would we need to listen? Well, that's the thing. Maybe they are communicating, aren't they? Exactly. And you are. They so are. I was mm. absolutely clear that they were communicating yes. to me. Yeah. And that actually, you know, I wasn't welcome yeah. and I didn't need to prove anything by no. hanging around, you know. No. I, I needed to prove more to myself by getting out of the, mm. the territory. Yeah, and you were really respecting that. You were mm. tu- literally tuning into that. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful Thurston. And I think, you know, going back to your point, you know, you can miss these encounters or see them as um, meaningless or just even ignore, but actually, but they are profound. That is the symbolic life, isn't it? Yeah. That if we really can turn up in that way and really pay attention, we mm. um, there's so many gifts. Um, and, you know, noticing what projecting or, yeah, what we're carrying and, yeah, this, all know, of that. I mean, it's yeah. really all of that. So, mm. uh, yeah, there's probably about 20, 20 more or more of these stories, yeah. uh, wow. and they're they're all powerful individual Great. experiences. Great. Uh, we uh, wait for the book. So, when's the book yeah, out? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'll commit to next year. Go on. <laughs> Sign yeah. me up. But this is lovely. So, what? Um, so for your own self, so to what extent, you know, I suppose um, from, um, you know, the maybe the uh, teenager, 20-year-old or into the um, Greenpeace and, and Wildlife Trust and, and the sort of the, the activism and then the policy and then maybe the corporate and then going to sustainability and then burning out at that point and then going into... Um, sort of more nature-based and reconnecting with that and then the retreats and coaching. So what have you learned? What, how has your sustainability changed from this more deeper nature connecting with the environment? Mm-hmm. How has that changed or, and how have you changed? Well, you know, how I've changed is that, that uh, you know, I think I acknowledge uh, I, I just got really clear about the value of different people with different roles mm. within the whole environmental sector. So, you know, when when my my son Tom went off to join Extinction Rebellion protest march in Truro, which is our nearest city, yeah, uh, um, you know, I I helped him get there. I walked alongside him for a while. He didn't want me hanging about, but you know. I just wanted to show him that I absolutely supported him. Uh, and, yeah, he was to take the day off mm. school and get out there. And the inspiration of Greta Thunberg was, was immense uh, for, my, for my generation as much as for his. Yes. Um, but, no, actually, maybe even more so for his. 
And so, uh, you know, I, I'm not necessarily the kind of guy who'll go out on a protest march anymore. I might, I might. Um, but I am lobbying my MP and having Zoom calls with him <laughs> about aspects of mm. policy. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and I am working with the people who are in Apple or running logistics organizations or renewable energy uh, bodies and, and being both a coach in some cases uh, and uh, a provider of a retreat space and experience where they can kind of regroup um, uh, through a deep connection. So I see myself as a, uh, yeah, a bit of an elder, mm. um, not, not yet an, a, an old man, but an elder with quite a lot of life experience who can uh, support those younger in particular. Absolutely. Um, a part of a wide panoply of stuff. And I love to champion the other people who I think are uh, hugely influential and, 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 um, uh, and there's such a, a wealth of, uh, of fantastic nature writing. There's been a real renaissance in, mm. in the UK in particular, but wider as well. For, for nature writing it's a wonderful time to be to be writing and be in that that company i hope yes, um, you know, yes. Um, who are you listening who are you reading at the moment well i'm reading isabella tree at the moment uh her, her book wilding is mm-hmm. yeah huge absolutely massive yeah um there's a a young northern irish man called dara mcnulty uh, he's a boy that young man, he is, he's written an incredible book about um, his experience with nature and, and like a number at the moment on the theme of how, how important it is to his good mental health. Yes. You know, as a young man with autism, he, he is really uh, so beautifully expresses how important it is to him. Mm. Um, and Chris Packham before him. Uh, as well but yeah I've usually got three or four books on the go uh, but they're they're um, they're the ones that come to mind right now and George Monbiot of course yes yeah you know yeah yeah Yeah. wonderful Um, and in terms of your as a as a human being, as an elder, as a man, as a you know how have you your your connecting and back and how is that change you or is it going back to your essence of mm. you know I think intuitive self mm, yeah I, yourself or yeah so that's a good question I, I think what I realize is that you know as a as um as the son of the son of a, a Victorian I I grew I grew up very, with a very conventional mindset that was very much science-based uh you know, really valued logic, scientific discovery. Spirituality was uh, anathema. And so I've spent certainly the last five years uh, accepting that that there is greater magic out there than I imagined, that uh, we are connected to all things through time and space, and that there there are extraordinary things uh, out there that... Uh, it would do me good to be open to. 
Um, so uh, I've, I'm, I'm unlearning mm. a lot of ways of, of thinking and being mm. uh, and uh, kind of relearning a bit more innocence and openness. Mm. That's lovely. And lovely role modelling to encourage others mm. to do that. Yeah, I think that's really important, particularly, you know, for me, particularly young men. Yes. Um, but, uh, but also, I, uh, you know, I've got a, a, a couple of older women clients at the moment, and I think for them, rediscovering some of the passion of their, of, uh, of their heart from, from younger days uh, uh, yes. is really important too. Yes, and I think there's sort of for me the unpeeling of actually what do I believe in? Mm. You know, is it my parents? And you know, to 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 shed some some of the you know what is it the crocodile scales or whatever mm. to see what is the essence of myself and yeah. you know and what it is to yeah to be a woman and um, yeah stepping into that eldership as myself and um, mm. a crone reclaiming the word <laughs> crone. <laughs> Oh my! <laughs> or which? Which oh, yeah. <laughs> is know? great. Mm. <laughs> you know, where they, yeah, they used to be um, positive terms, and you know, mm. some somewhere along the line, like spinster, you know, it got um, yeah. as an insult, and sort of, what does that mean? And mm-hmm. yeah, what can we offer? And yeah. Well, I'd love to, you know, continue, but will we put a pause for now? That's yeah. good. It's yeah. been great. Thank it's you. It's been so lovely, and it's just so lovely to see your smiley face. The the um uh, the videos, you know, not as clear as what it could be, but I think that uh, the essence mm. of you just shines out. And, Thank you, uh, really, and good luck with your retreat. And that sounds Thank super. Thank you very yeah. much. And have you got some more um, for the next year, or is it too early with COVID? Well, there's a lot of uncertainty, yeah. but yes, the answer is yes. We're looking to go to Dartmoor. We're looking yeah. to go to the French Alps. Uh, we're looking yeah. to go to the Highlands of Scotland mm. and back to Snowdonia. So, um, yeah, uh, uh, with with Damien, we shall do some great things. Oh, I, I might come to the Highlands with you. I've been watching Outlander. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, we've got to come. <laughs> and it's my Scottish roots, actually. Uh, my oh, yeah. uh, grandfather comes from Forest. It would be a lovely thing to explore and do oh, a You're on. Work I'll make you. sure you, you Go know. Go on, then. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so we'll just pause here and see you back for the next Earth Converse podcast. In the meantime, go out and enjoy nature one conversation at a time.